Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everybody who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and look for the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it's a hot link, and if you click on it, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, his book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships, and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, that will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one, where people have been stepped through the worksheet process, and if you choose to listen to those, they can become a tutorial for you and assist you in getting the maximum benefit from these tools in the shortest period of time. And we hope 
you and everybody else does that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it makes it much more likely that you'll have comments, questions, answers, or testimonials to share. And if you have any of those, we'd appreciate it if you'd give us a call. The number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. We appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. Our intention with this work is to be of service. So if you would, be so kind as to let us know how we can support you, how we can be of service to you. Um, It makes it far easier for us to do what we intend to do. And um, alternatively, if you would like to... uh, communicate with us but you don't want to get on the phone, you can send an email to me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get a note from you, we will address their comment or question or answer on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a response that lets you know what day and time we discussed your question or comment. And uh, you can then go back into the archives, which is another wonderful tool that Michael and Jeannie maintain, and hear what was said, uh, what, what the comments were, what the feedback is. And um, we're wide open for comments or questions or answers or testimonials today. We've got, oh, what about 50-some minutes left? How can we support you? What's on your mind? How did you react to uh, what we've been talking about or the worksheet that I shared in whether yesterday or the day before? I forgot. And um, and or the readings we've been doing from Christian Sundberg's book, A Walk in the Physical. Um, I had a, the opportunity to do an interview today with a woman, Carol Murko, M-U-R-K-O. And Carol had a um, what she called an autoimmune disease, a kind of a deteriorative uh, vision, a very rare uh, situation. They call it an orphan disease because not enough people suffer from it to make it enticing for the um, drug companies to do the research about a cure. And so she started looking around after she basically ran out of options through the allopathic medical community. And um, she tuned into the work of Dr. Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I've mentioned him before. I was working through his book, You Are the Placebo. And she also um, found 
quite a bit of benefit from uh, Qigong. And so um, that was an interesting interview. If you've ever done any work with Qigong or uh, several other things she mentioned that I've talked about on this show before, Wim Hof's breathwork technique um, and the... uh, the concept of cold immersion, which Wim Hof promotes um, quite heavily. Um, so there's just all kinds of stuff for us to explore and talk about. Um, I'd be happy to discuss any of those um, or anything we've talked about in the last 12 plus years on the internet show here. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to pull up the book, The Walk in the Physical, to go with the um, continue reading, if no one puts a hand up. Uh, the last couple of that I've done are talking about original sinlessness, Uh, and you are where you are, and how you need love, and the author of duality. Um, The one I wanted to start with today is uh, Essay 21 that's titled, Love is More Important Than Knowledge. And this will frequently get some pushback from people in the Western world, because we have been, the way Einstein talked about it is he said, we've been given a precious gift, which is the intuitive mind, the creative mind, and a faithful servant, which is the conscious logical mind. And then he goes on to say, we live in a culture which has forgotten the gift, which is a reference to how we do not teach and nurture in our school system in our students, in our children, we do not teach the ability to tap into your intuitive mind, your creative sense, insights, intuitions, gut feelings. We don't teach that. We just, if if children are lucky, they it gets role modeled for them by some teacher or friend, or it gets mentioned here and there, but it's not taught. So Einstein says, we live in a culture that's forgotten the gift. We don't focus on our intuition. And perhaps even worse than that is that we're living in a culture that's elevated what was supposed to be a faithful servant, and we've elevated it to the level of master. So we think, with our conscious logical mind, that's what's going to give us all of our solutions. And as David Bohm and Krishnamurti point out, the vast majority of our mental-emotional suffering is the product of the misapplication of our conscious logical energy, our mind energy, our thought process. David Bohm was so focused on this and observing it and working with it that he realized that there's a fundamental flaw in the process of thought as it relates to our psychological and emotional lives. And 
when we create an upset, a negative emotional state, as I had done in the last worksheet that I presented, that I received an email from somebody and I threw a negative interpretation on it and it resonated upset in me, if I just kept thinking at the conscious logical level about what that meant and what this person was trying to communicate and whether or not he or she respected me, etc. If I had just kept spinning at that thought level, at the conscious logical level, I would still have upset that I'm generating even today, fully a week after the fact. But if I put all of that aside, and I have the wonderful tool of the Reality Management Worksheet to put aside first to map out what is it I'm doing with that conscious logical thought and then to put it all aside, cancel any desires or goals I have for that and ask to be shown something else, that's tapping into, that's opening the space for the insight, the intuition, the inspiration, divine inspiration, if you will. So, Here's an essay titled, Love is More Important Than Knowledge that is going to have most Western-trained minds already resisting. And as we like to encourage people in this work, if you hear me reading something and you feel a tension or an upset or a part of your mind that wants to argue against it, what's recommended, the invitation here is, breathe and soften Notice that you're creating that tension or resistance or irritation or anger or frustration inside yourself. It's not being created by the vibrations that are set up by my voice. And and stay with it. Leave yourself softened and opened and see what might come of it. You can always go back to resisting it and shutting it down and saying it's wrong five minutes from now or an hour from now. And yet, if we don't leave ourselves open and soften, we can't learn anything. We can't grow and expand if we stay in resistance and tension. So this essay reads, one of the main jobs of the ego is to try to prove one's worth to oneself. It says, for much of my own life, I justified my worth to myself, at least in part, by establishing intellectual capability. I learned facts, I built skills, I grew my knowledge of various subjects, and I learned a foreign language. I earned a near-perfect grade point average in college. I worked hard to excel in my career and I became, quote, the best, close quotes, that I could in my career and at various activities. Eventually, I had a long list of intellectual accomplishments to present to myself so that I could prove my worth to myself. And it worked for a while. Eventually, I made a profound personal discovery. That discovery is this. In the big picture, capital D, capital P picture, intellectual accomplishments are largely unimportant. 
Sure. They have some effect on the physical. And, of course, there is the fact that certain a certain spiritual value may have come from achieving them. But in the big picture, from the view of the larger reality, that reality that supersedes the entire environment and the entire rule set of this physical reality, from that perspective, my local knowledge, my skills and abilities actually mean very little. They are not the reason why I am here. I found that what is important is, in fact, intent. What is important is striving to have the truest quality of intent, meaning genuinely loving intent, and to have that in all the choices that I make. To put it crudely but succinctly, Love is more important than knowledge. You and I are living in a virtual reality. That is, metaphorically, it's much like a giant video game. Our world is an experience constructed within consciousness. When the human body dies, the character's body dies. But we... Your consciousness, your essence, does not die. That's okay because fundamentally we don't need the skills or the body. What we do take with us, rather than our skills and our intellectual accomplishments, is our own increased ability to actually play the game with higher quality intent which means intent that is more loving and far less fearful. We learn how to actually be more loving and less fearful. And every time we play, we, get, we tend to get a little better at seeing past the illusions and at making more loving choices. Every time we play, we conquer some fear. As we integrate experience, we evolve. Our knowledge does not survive in its current limited form, nor does it need to. However, our wisdom and our genuine love, that survives forever. So, breathing into this opening and softening if there's any part of your mind, especially a Western-trained mind, that wants to argue against a statement such as, love is more important than knowledge. And just notice what comes up for you, what gets stirred up in you. The next essay I want to read is essay 24. It's titled, Healing Trauma Through Feeling. And I would mention that yesterday in the show, I, I mentioned the most recent podcast from Glennon Doyle, 
the title of her podcast is We Can Do Hard Things. And that was a very poignant discussion about how Glennon is actually healing trauma from various points in her life and doing it by allowing herself to go back through it and feel it more fully and allowing herself to listen to the urges and the younger versions of herself that have beliefs that have downloads from those times that she felt were traumatic and giving them a voice breathing into them feeling them fully not racing past them not shouting them down not trying to rationalize them away and of course that's a podcast series titled we can do hard things where it's not just yesterday's podcast that's poignant and related to this but glennon doyle is doing a a very powerful series of talks about her own recovery her own healing from trauma and from anorexia etc so this essay is titled healing trauma through feeling and it reads we are integrators of experience here in the physical we have experiences in other words we receive data through our senses and we interpret experiences meaning we attach thoughts and meaning and judgments to the data that hits our senses and then we react to our own interpretation even if we've forgotten that it's our interpretation through that process we grow as quote successful integrators of experience so this is exactly what happened about a week ago when I received an email from someone with just you know basically four or five words in it and the first word was odd followed by three dots an ellipsis odd dot 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 I read that so this this information was coming in through my eyes as I read the email the sense data hit my eyes I interpreted it I attached a sense of meaning to it I had thoughts about it I made a judgment related to it and then I had a very strong reaction a negative emotional reaction and fortunately because I've been doing this work for as long as I have I was aware that it was only based on my interpretation that I was generating this negative response but what he outlines here in this first paragraph is what we all do all day every day so the essay goes on and says some experiences are more challenging than others in general this physical reality offers to us uniquely challenging constraints the fact is that this reality around us 
stays firm and appears to not yield when it pushes on us makes the force of the circumstances we face very strong as the consciousness seeks to integrate such a challenging circumstance set the stress of the experience can potentially enable profound spiritual growth what's he talking about well what if you you have been working at a job for years that you really like and all of a sudden they hire somebody else uh, you've never met this person before and either they're working right beside you or they are your manager and there's a personality conflict that would be a very challenging circumstance to experience and still stay loving what if you've had a wonderful life and you've had a an athlete's body and vibrant health and you've read all of the good stuff about eating healthy and staying away from bad chemicals and doing your exercise and your meditation and all of a sudden you start to experience debilitating physical symptoms that actuality that doesn't seem to yield makes creates a set of circumstances that are quite challenging to experience and then still stay loving the essay goes on and says alternatively it can also potentially stress the individual to a breaking point psychological trauma cases are examples of where a personality has been forced to experience a constraint set and resulting interpretations that are too severe to handle in its current form and often the consciousness buries the experience somewhere within it so that it does not have to fully confront what it has felt as a result of that experience this is one of the ways to to discuss trauma to define trauma I go through a situation and I interpret it in such a way that is negative or it seems like it's too much for me to deal with and so a part of my mind blocks it off from me hides it from me or downloads a negative conclusion about myself taking responsibility for this and that stays active in my mind so that days weeks months years or even decades later when that gets resonated I am functioning more from that trauma energy or from the negative belief downloads that I created and locked in when I went through that trauma situation and this was exactly what was happening the last time I did a worksheet on the show where here I am a licensed clinical psychologist sitting in my own office license on the bookshelf climate controlled office and I read an email and all of a sudden I generate a sense of upset or being attacked or being disrespected and it just churns and churns in me until I find out wait a minute I'm generating this emotion I'm pouring a lot of mind energy into this negative thought I'm holding a certain goal here that I can't get met what happens if I cancel all of that and ask to be shown the hidden part of my mind 
and I go into a bit of a uh, kind of a relaxed state or a trance state, and my mind is spinning through the, the, the kind of a mantra I have of I cancel my need to be right, and I cancel my need for anyone or anything else to change. And then, as I'm just about to give up any hope of seeing any logic in this, and I take a breath, all of a sudden I flash on a situation when I was nine years old where the same thought, the same goal was operating. I just want what I'm doing to be enough. Why isn't it enough? Why can't I find happiness or people appreciate me for what I've already done? And then I wake up to the realization that, oh my gosh, here I am in my late 60s, being driven, my response, my thought patterns, my interpretations are being driven by things I downloaded as being upsetting and overwhelming when I was nine years old. So this essay goes on to say, ultimately and eventually, any experience can be fully processed and healed. However, in order to do so, we must be humble enough to admit our many weaknesses and negative self-perceptions. So we must be humble. We must also be brave enough to be willing to feel fully what we feel in the now, in the present moment. We must actually feel our feelings in the present moment as they come up no matter what they are, in total allowance, in total acceptance. He says here, without judgment. But instead of saying without judgment, I like to line it out the way the way of mastery lines it out. What is love going to do with this? Love's going to allow all things. Love's going to embrace all things. Love's going to trust all things and thereby transcend all things. I want to approach these feelings as intense and negative as they might be, as negatively as I might have judged them. I want to embrace them, allow them, trust them, breathe into them, experience them fully with complete acceptance and allowance. The last line in that paragraph says, Healing always takes place in the now moment. Our power is always in the present moment. You can always decide now to face and feel your old wounds, especially during the precious opportunities that arise when those negative feelings have been brought to the surface for you to feel. It can take years, decades, even lifetimes to heal certain old wounds. And yet, when you truly commit to undertaking that process, the powers of the higher realms themselves will come to your aid. This is a very concise statement of what most of the tr 
trauma reduction techniques that I've been trained in over the years operate on. I can't heal or integrate something that I'm running from. I can't bring new presence to energies that once defeated me if I won't be with those energies in this now moment. I can't conquer a fear as I run from it. I just went it just went to the the movie Slumberland which a relatively recent movie about a little young young girl not little little girl but I guess she's 12 or 13 and um It's all about this very rich dream life that she has and um, fun and creative and exceptionally bright colors and music and wonderful adventures. And um, But there's also the nightmare realm. And so as much as she loves going into the dream realm, with her stuffed pig that comes to life in her dreams and having these adventures. And the longer she stays there in different circumstances, the more the nightmare almost gets her. And finally, she's given the advice that, you know, from somebody in, you might say, a higher realm and or in the waking realm, I forget which in this particular case. But she's given the advice that she's got to turn and face her deepest fears that are coming out in this nightmare. And until she stands, turns and stands and approaches it and goes to it, it it will best her. It will defeat her. So that core observation, that core dynamic of developing the personal strength and resources within myself and then developing the willingness to turn and face the worst part of whatever whatever it is that I have experienced in the past as trauma, that's the actual mechanism for healing from trauma. Because, you know, it makes perfect sense if you stop and think about it. If I had something happen yesterday and I'm having a trauma response to it today, I'm having a trauma response to something from the past. It's not happening right now. You know, here we are. The last worksheet I did was fully on a series of events in my life that happened 60 years ago. Well, what happened in me in my life 60 years ago is clearly not happening to me today. And the person that I am, both the physical body and the fund of knowledge and um, you know, the strength of interpersonal you know, skills and my strength of, of, of sense of self, is dramatically different 
from what it was when I was just nine years old in fourth grade. But if I'm not willing to face it directly, feel it again fully, allow it to wash over me and realize, oh, this is all old stuff. This can't hurt me any more than it already has. If I don't stop and face it directly and allow myself to see and feel and breathe through it, if I run from it, if I turn away from it at any level, I can't integrate it. I can't heal it. I can't dissipate its negative effects in my life. And that's the core of every good trauma technique I've ever been exposed to. So again, that was lesson or essay number 24, healing trauma through feeling. So we've got about 20 minutes left, 563-999-3581. And we've got just a slew of people on the call. Area code 610. Susan, welcome. Hi. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like homeopathy in a way. You introduce the substance that was could make you sick, and you introduce it to your immune system on a very tiny level, and the immune system notices it. I don't know how it all works. But getting the information allows the the immune system to sort of build up a recognition and a resistance to whatever it is. So if the real thing shows up, it already has its arsenal of uh, his way of fighting it. It's not exact. And the other thing I was thinking is in the Old Testament, I don't know who it was that held. It's the symbol of allopathic medicine. You see it in hospitals. You see a snake uh, winding up. Is it a cross or just a pole? I guess it's just a pole. And we're told to look at the snake on the pole and we'll be healed. It's like looking at the looking at the poison. Somehow it just triggered a couple of thoughts in my mind about that. But it's wonderful that even without using the tools, Glennon Doyle was able to process through and heal herself just by reliving from a safe space. I hope she felt safe to to heal herself of those early experiences she had. Well, and you know, there's a lot to it. And if you listen to the mm-hmm. um, the podcast, um, we can do hard Is things. Is it out yet? Oh yeah. But oh, this good. this is not the one that I did, right? This is oh, this is this is a podcast completely separate from me. It's titled "We Can Do Hard Things" with Glennon Doyle, and yeah. the, the idea is that she had a um, I think she was twelve years old when somebody diagnosed her as bulimic because she would binge and then purge, mm-hmm. and so. Um, 
she decided she's a very bright, very strong-willed, very creative individual, which means she was that way at even at 12. And um, she decided, okay, I'm going to stop this binging and purging, and I'm going to master this bulimia. And she did her life, and she was quite successful in a variety of ways. And she became an author, and she had children in a marriage with a man, and then she had all kinds of difficulties with that, and eventually realized that the love of her life was a woman, and she married that woman. And she built all kinds of good stuff as an author and blending the families, etc. And then within the past year or two, she came to the realization that she was never bulimic, she was anorexic, and that the unhealthy control patterns that, you know, basically are the foundation of anorexia were still fully active in her life. And so she needed to acknowledge that and start doing a whole different process of educating herself and therapy and healing Mm. and um and that's what's happening and now she's this most recent podcast is another exploration of her most recent set of realizations in that process and as i mentioned yesterday go ahead she wasn't an alcoholic, what? was she? I'm confusing. I'm confusing her yes. with someone else that we've read. Yes, yes. She also had the alcohol problem. Yes. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. But, but, but I think you're confusing her with Laura McGowan, who is another oh, wonderful author that's written two books, and I interviewed her. Yes. A week ago today, and that interview hasn't been published yet, but. Oh, I have been confusing her with... Okay. All right. (laughs) Thanks. But but it doesn't really matter which person we're talking about. It's still all the same process. This is the idea that Mm. just as this essay in Christian Sundberg's book is talking about the only way for me to heal my traumas is to go back through them and allow them and accept them and embrace them and integrate them. Mm. Understand, you know, what negative conclusions I've drawn and downloaded from them. And, you know, just like I was just finished talking about, rather than running from them, turn and face my deepest fears. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I do, that's when I, as the only way that I can actually demonstrate to myself that they are not bigger than me. They can't mm-hmm. defeat me. Mm-hmm. The only way my fears defeat me is if I let them run my, if I, if I ask fear itself how to get through this. And as Guy Finley says, fear will never tell you how to defeat it. 
fear will only, always and forever, tell you what to do so that fear can run your life yet another day. Mm. And we are all, everybody in a body is in need of that knowledge and is in need of new ways day in and day out to identify and then turn and face our individual fears. There's anybody who's still in a body has fears. Mm. Well, your work yesterday with the odd word and with the woman who sent that, I sort of combined it, it just combined itself with the essay on, the Sunberg essay on power. And my work with Michael downstairs has shifted because of that. Learning, first of all, learning all the negative connotations that I had attached to power and sort of separating them out from healthy power, which is agency and all sorts of good things. I realized I needed a vocabulary, an ego state and a vocabulary in order to talk to Michael. Sort of the way you said you needed to have have a, a centered, well self in order to find the words and the feelings that would come with being well so that you can have a normal, productive discussion with this woman who use that word teeny premature testimonial here but this morning i woke up and i thought i'm just going to write a list of the things i would like michael to do and i'm also going to write up a kind of a lease so i looked up what an efficiency apartment would go for in my area Um, he has a, a kitchen without a stove and a half bath in the basement where he is no windows but he has laundry it's and it's a big enough space that he's got a table, a big bed, a couch, a desk, Wi-Fi, all sorts of nice stuff. And he says he feels safe down there and he wants to be left alone. So I thought, all right, Tim and I, Tim Bingham and I like to be very quiet here too. So in a way that works out. So I looked up how much the rents would be in our area, and they go from twelve hundred for that kind of. Um, apartment to 3000 but since he had only a half bath and a half kitchen we decided that maybe $800 a month would be a reasonable amount to ask for rent and that he could pay it in services and I'm not so sure there's even that much to do around here we don't have much stuff and we we live in a spare kind of a way and I keep after the basic housework. But I made a list of all the things I've been meaning to do, like cleaning the garage and, you know, spiffing up part of the yard. And uh, I made a whole list and I thought if I paid him the equivalent of 25 an hour, he'd have $25 an hour knocked off his rent. And I said, this is what I'd like you to do, and you can do it anytime you want. But I want you to write out what you've done and keep track of your time and give me a sheet of paper at the end of the week and show me what you've done. 
And he took it and read it, and he said, okay, I can do this. And it was so easy. I thought, oh, my God. I was sitting, I was, it was a friendly talk, but I said, this is what this place is worth, and the woman's going to get after you after a while if she discovers you're not really working here. And so let's see how we can make this work. And then I had a sudden uh, need for an errand to be done, carrying something really heavy. And I said, hey, Michael, could you do this for me? I was about to load up my car, and I thought, I'll get him to do it. He said, sure, I'll do it. Where to? And he took it without any problem. And I thought, oh, my God, I have made up so many stories in my head about this man which and had me resenting him, and it's appearing at this point that he hasn't been forthcoming because he just hasn't thought of it or nobody asked. He seems willing enough. We'll see whether it actually happens, but so far it's been quite amazing with the idea of his being here feels a lot different than it did yesterday. That's all because of an essay on power and your worksheet. So it's your fault, Dr. Tim. Okay, well, I'll take the fault. I'll take the blame if that's what you're handing out. <laughs> Congratulations. And as you I said, so you'll, 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 you'll see going forward if he's able to maintain that or not. And, and then you'll yeah. deal with that directly when it happens, and hopefully you'll deal with it learning from this, more overtly, consciously, have a conversation mm-hmm. about it rather than run from it. Yeah. Well, so thanks. Good productive session yesterday. And the Glad day before. You so. Glad you think so. Our uh, second hour today is going to be uh, a recording for Michael and Jeannie. We've got nine callers on. We have time for a comment or a question. If you, you want to join the comments from Susan, I'm going to probably step away maybe two or three minutes early at the latest and uh, start the recording, but we do have time. If somebody wants to chime in, 563-999-3581. What are your thoughts about either the essays we're reading today or what worksheet I presented yesterday or what Susan just talked about? Here you code 828. Magda? Hi. Is this Magda? Yes, it is. Hello. Hi. Welcome. I'm, I'm just, thank you, thank you. I am delighted, Susan, to hear what you've done. Um, you've liberated yourself from so much um, of your own imposed terror. I would call it terror. I don't know what you call it, but anyway, congratulations on that. And I I would like some suggestions or suggestions from you, Dr. Tim and Susan. Um, Yesterday I realized I was using food in a very compulsive way again because I was feeling, I was almost feeling overwhelmed. (laughs) And I did not want to allow myself to feel that overwhelm. And I have recently decided to give up 
uh, chocolate and sugar. <clears throat> and I've done very well with the chocolate. However, I have found other sweet things like jam and jelly. Uh, and actually, beyond the sugary stuff, uh, I've also been using other foods that I consider um, mood alters for me. Uh, one is just plain old butter and uh, like butter on crackers and almond butter. And so I was finding myself compulsively having one cracker after another, after another, after another, and then I realized what I was doing. And realizing that I was um, using it to avoid my feelings, I was then kind of stuck, and I feel stuck right now. Like it's probably such a simple thing. What do you recommend I do when I, when I get into that position of recognizing it and not knowing what to do? Well, I think the first thing I would do is um, start documenting, make a list for myself or a journal about what are these feelings I'm trying to avoid. Okay. Yep, and if I'm able to, I, yeah, and if I'm able to identify any of those, then I want to start putting those feelings and the thoughts I'm using to generate them on worksheets. Okay. See, simple. <laughs> well, and 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 for me, that's the 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 most productive, um, you know, base process, rather than mm-hmm. trying to undo some. track down and undo some big core fundamental trauma belief thing just to work with the individual episodes where I get triggered as they come up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That is great. Um, right. Anything else? Or Susan, do you have anything else? Well, I do know that carbs and sugar inspire us to feel cravings for carb and sugar. As soon as you got them in there, even a bowl of rice, it, yeah. it, if you're hungry all the time, you just won't be able to resist it. So this is very new for me, but boy, you might like it. I've gone on this sort of very gentle keto diet, which means, you know, I might have a bowl of bean soup or something, but I start out with a piece of turkey and an egg or two in the morning. And I don't have my I, my breakfast. I get up at four, and so I have a, mm-hmm. a small cup of coffee with a table a teaspoon of ghee mixed in it. It's hot, and the ghee makes your stomach feel as if you've already had a meal. And I have twenty ounces of lemon water in the morning too, hot lemon, and that gets the whole system moving. Uh, Parasol, this mm. is great. Then I go for my walk, and about 9 o'clock, which is like midday for a person who gets up at 4, so you can think about your hours, mm-hmm. I have breakfast. And that's the the piece of turkey and the eggs and some more after yeah. that, a little while after that, to drink. Then I have a second meal at about 3 or 5, it sounds insane, 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Um, Not at all. A huge, <laughs> a huge salad and some protein, whatever it is, and that's it for the day. And I'm not right. hungry. 
I am not hungry. I don't think about food. This is very new. It's only been about a week. But And I'm not trying to lose weight. I was trying to get past the craving of sweets. But the things that you think are fine, like brown rice, not good. Those things trigger your craving. I appreciate what you're saying. I appreciate what you're saying. And I have to tell you, it's not hunger. It's not about actual physical hunger. It is about what my microbiome in my gut is saying it's hungry for, which is sugar. And, and, um, yeah, I've been doing um, intermittent fasting for a while now, and, and so I don't have my first meal until 12 noon. And then I have a six-hour window that I give myself. The problem yeah. recently has been that I'm kind of eating my way through the six-hour window instead of having oh. one or two meals. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, they say no snacks. And I thought, oh, how will I ever do that? Well, you know, if I'm really, <laughs> really thinking about food, I might have a few um, Brazil nuts or something, something that's really yeah. good on the list. And then, but I don't have the emotional thing that you're talking about. And I'm not sure I'm going to challenge you because I wonder if it is emotional. I wonder if it's, you know, it's hard to tell when you've triggered a craving to know whether it's an emotional thing or not. So anyway. Yeah, I hear that. It's probably a bit of both. I think I've set up my body um, to expect certain things and desire certain things. Yeah. And and the trigger then is the emotion that I am hiding from, wanting to hide from. Oh. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with the list and and uh see what happens out of that. That sounds like okay. the simplest way to approach it and probably the best. Thank you. Both of you. Thank you. Great. You're very welcome and deserving. I will invite us all back tomorrow. I will let us know that we're we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Sorry, we didn't get to your call five four one, but this is our second hour. Say, welcome everybody. Honored and delighted that you're here to share this space with us as we engage in the bringing forward of these awesome tools based in the first century Aramaic language and first century Aramaic, think, Aramaic thinking where it was understood that we did not live in a physical world, but rather we lived in an energetic world and the principles of how this energy system operates were understood far, far better than they are understood today when we've been convinced that we live in a physical world made of physical stuff and that physical stuff has capabilities beyond the uh, the power of what we're able to do as human beings when we realize that we are back of and superior to, that we are the moving force behind what happens in our world. And so we're here to, in particular, bring forward the first century Aramaic idea of forgiveness, the opposite of what our culture teaches us, as our our culture tells us, that, of course, if you're in pain or you're in trauma, 
it's somebody else's fault that that's happening, and all you need to do is let them off the hook for what's happening inside of you, and then everything is okay. Now, of course, I could line up seven and a half billion people, shake each of their hands and tell them how I forgive them, but that won't put one dent in the pain-producing power in my mind if it's there. What forgiveness does is it opens those parts of the mind where our pain is stored and it empowers the release of those things. So when you think of forgiveness as removal or release rather than the act of letting someone else off the hook. And it's, it's interesting to hear how many people talk about forgiveness and they talk about how, yes, well, you know, it freed me, it did this, it did that. And, and I, I just doesn't make sense that because I let someone else off the hook, somehow that's going to change the content of my mind or somehow that's going to change the ability of my mind to remove pain. Of course, you can, by quote-unquote letting another off the hook, perhaps break the link of the pain that your mind is producing with a particular object of attention. And by doing that, there will be a tendency for that relationship to improve. But what we're really looking to do is to understand that forgiveness has the ability to reach into the depths of one's own mind, and the technology of how to reach into those depths was developed over 2,000 years ago. And when we put it to work, it just creates the most amazing and powerful results. So we're delighted that you're here to have this conversation with us. And we'd love to hear from you if you're on one of those stations that we don't have access to in our control panel. Our calling number is 563-999-3581. If you're in the uh, chat room and you haven't registered uh, with Blog Talk, then you can't really talk to us through the chat room. You can do a simple registration process, or you can call us at that 563-999-3581. When you do that, you'll be listening to the show. And if you push one in the phone queue, Jeannie will know that you want to talk to us and introduce us by your area code. And so, Jeannie, do we have anything happening in the chat room, or do we have anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? Um, no, on both occasions. There's, I'm the only one in the chat room, and nobody has a hand up. Uh, Camille was talking to Dr. Tim at the close of that show, but I think we completed with her. So, And, and you couldn't hear her, but when you were talking to Aria, she was giving you that smeral face, that nut scrunched up nose and all that. <laughs> so, <laughs> she wasn't saying anything, but she was giving you her, her little face. <laughs> Okay. So we have 53 minutes. We've got plenty of time to do a lot of conversation. Press one. What's on your mind? How can we support you? If you haven't put the uh, the tool of forgiveness to work in your world yet, we invite you to go to your app store, whether you're on the iPhone or the Android. And as you do that, type in the words Heartland. Aramaic forgiveness. Actually, you only have to put in the word heartland and the letter and the app will come up on your list. 
If you click on it, install it, you have a totally private app in which you can carry out the forgiveness process. There are two different versions. You can select either of the versions of the wake-up sheet, either the current seven-step or a slightly more, more a simplified one. And each one takes you to the same place. It takes you through the steps of forgiveness. The app is purposely, specifically designed to be totally and completely private so that you can put anything in there that you choose and no one has access to it but you. If you choose to print it, you can save it to your phone. But otherwise, when you exit that particular worksheet that you do, then it disappears back to the electronic components of which it uh, is made and is gone. So you can be assured that it's totally and completely private, and we invite you to put it to work in your life and watch what happens. No belief required, or you can go to our website, whyagain.org, whyagain.org, and in the upper left-hand corner of the page, if you click on the Start Here button right up at the very tippy top of the left of the page, and you will be walking through all of the information that we could possibly give you on how to engage in first century Aramaic forgiveness. It's, um, it's quite a shock to people when they realize that saying the words, I forgive you or I forgive myself, have nothing whatsoever to do with actual forgiveness. What has happened is that a Greek act, the Greek act of pardoning, letting somebody else off the hook, I forgive you, I let you off the hook for what you've done, has been substituted for the actual process of forgiveness as it was taught in the first century Aramaic. And so in understanding how forgiveness works, it becomes something totally and completely different than this process of letting yourself or trying to let yourself or someone else off the hook, but rather it becomes a process of collapsing the current pained perception and dropping it and accessing what's beneath it, what's, what's the root of that pain perception. And when you bring that energetic imbalance forward in the presence of love, then that which is at the root of your pain perception collapses. Collapses, you get free of the load that you put on yourself or perhaps has been put into your mind over the generations by those who didn't know any better. Remembering that this body-mind unit is a device that registers everything that comes to it and that every energy is recorded holographically in every cell of the structure, including the sperm and the egg. So if you conceive a child tomorrow, that child would have in its structure every thought you've ever thought, every feeling you've ever felt, every reality you've ever engaged in, every construct you've ever engaged in would be stored in your children's minds as that which your parents and their parents and their parents engaged in are stored within yours. And if we hide the parts of our minds away that we don't want to deal with, and the most powerful way to do that, or I guess I should say the most disempowering way to do that, is to pretend that 
whatever's going on in your mind, in your physiology, in your life is somebody else's fault. And so we have this blame game. Patrick was sharing yesterday the the insight that he and uh, Joel had shared that uh, Joel was talking about how the blame has been going on for so long. You go right back to the creation story and, you know, there was a problem ostensibly with an apple and whose fault was the apple? Well, Eve had the snake to blame. Adam had Eve to blame. And then Adam turned around and blamed the creator for giving him Eve in the first place. And so, you know, the blame game has been going on for a long time. What first century Aramaic forgiveness does is it totally frees one of the blame game and lets one see directly the contents of their own minds, which is that which is sourcing anything to do with pain. Events and circumstances. Sure, if somebody cancels the thought, coming up and punching this in the nose, all pain is caused by the unconscious internal dynamics of energies that don't belong within our structure, energies that are off the mark. Hence, our definition from the Aramaic of sin, sin being an archery term, it means off the mark. Now, if you fired at the bullseye on the archery range and you missed the bullseye, then the scorekeeper would yell sin. And when you realize in human terms that sin is simply engaging an energy that is off the mark, you know, and, and of course, to determine what's off the mark, you'd kind of want to have a sense of what's on the mark. And the best way I've been able to come up with understanding what's on the mark for this human system is to establish from the very beginning what was the energy that it was sourced in. And the easiest way that I know to do that is just imagine yourself or remember when you've held a newborn child. And if you go back to the moment of holding that newborn and tapping into the essence of that newborn, what we found over the years is we've asked the question to people, what was your newborn experience like? Go back to the moment where you held that newborn baby and tap into the essence of that newborn. And we get all kinds of words that are all based in love. Words like sweetness, purity, beauty, peacefulness. We get words that are reflections of the state of our created selves. And then I ask people as they tap into that, because there's another trick that's been done in our culture, and we've been taught that love is something we're supposed to do to each other or we're supposed to do to ourselves. And yet, if you think about that moment where you held the newborn, you'll notice that the newborn is not loving you. You'll notice that the newborn is love. It's a state of being. It's what we are. It's the very, this state of active present love is our very lives. If you go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, he, he had a really simple explanation as to what he was about and why he was here. He said, I come to bring you life and bring it more abundantly. I come to support you having a taste of and living as the active presence of love, reclaiming your human life. And everything that he delivered is about the reclamation of our human lives, about the truth of who we are. And my offering is that any energy other than love 
put into this system inhibits our awareness of who we are, covers over the truth of the experience we're designed to have. And so forgiveness removes those energetic patterns based in hostility and fear that have, in too many cases, created false images in our minds of who we are, and we've fallen into identification with those false images. So what forgiveness does is it collapses and removes those false images of self, those, those false images of self as less than perfect, as less than whole, as damaged, as there being something wrong with, of, you know, something should be different here. By removing those interfering energies, we get to go back to the truth of who we are as human beings. And we get to realize that the energy that's designed to fuel this human energy system is the energy of conscious, active, present love. And that's what I offer Yeshua King to restore life. Conscious, active, present love and life more abundantly to allow the full experience and the full expression, no matter what anybody else is doing in your world. You know, people say, who could be, who could be loving after watching someone pull off some atrocity? I'll tell you the person who could be loving after someone pulling, watching someone pull off some atrocity, the person who didn't have resonance with that atrocity. If you watch someone go into a fit of rage and there's rage in you, there'll be a tendency for there to be rage move. It's called resonance. If I forgive as to my rage, if I remove my rage, then what's left is the truth of who I am as love. And if I'm aware of that, then I can be witness to anything happening in the world. There isn't something in me that responds with a strong negative energy, then I will stand as a space of active love. If there is something that responds in me that takes me out of the awareness of myself as love, then I've bought into a false identity, and the idea of this work is to remove that false identity, to forgive that identity that's based in something other than love. The messages that have been given by the people around us and by our culture that we are so steeped in that we just kind of automatically and unconsciously buy into it to start to question those things and to remove those things from our minds. That's the bottom line of where we're going with this work, and that's what we're here to support. We're here to support you having the tools, the awareness, and and we're here to give the, the most total and complete support and knowledge and understanding of these tools that we have developed to date. Hopefully, maybe in our interaction with you today, there'll be another piece for each of us to learn in our interaction so that we can support another with it, with that understanding at still a new depth tomorrow. So we're here 
not as experts, but rather recognizing that we're in process as everyone else is and simply offering the space of support and the tools that have come from the practice that each of us has engaged in and inviting you into that practice and then inviting you to pass that practice along to others. So that's what we're here to do. And we hope to be a blessing by being present with you. What's on your mind? How can we support you? If you're in the phone queue and push one, we'll be having a conversation. And we invite you to, you know, as you're doing your work, to keep a notebook with questions about, you know, even the smallest um, things that need to be understood about these tools as you use them. The smallest questions oftentimes lead to the biggest insights when we get uh, into alignment with. And the, and the whole idea is that of aligning with truth. We'll be doing a uh, an intensive in uh, February here in eastern Tennessee, a Laws of Living intensive. And we put forward in that intensive the Aramaic understanding of law, which is has nothing to do with this culture's idea that law is the rule of its peer and you better obey. There's no obedience required under the laws of living in the Aramaic. It is rather harmonizing with or aligning with the energy systems in the energy field in which you live, move, and have your being. And as you do that, you live in harmony with law. And so if you're ready to, uh, to take your work to the next level, Drop Janie an email, J-E-A-N-I-E at W-H-Y, again, dot org. Let her know that you're interested. It's a 16-day residential intensive. There's a, a textbook that's about 250 pages, and it's, it's done in a different, completely different approach than our regular intensive. It's done in the Socratic method of asking questions. There are several essays, several tools that, move into things like cleaning up grievances in the mind toward parents, toward others. Just a whole series of tools that we engage in and a whole different level of understanding. We, we introduce the concept of regulatory speech. You'll notice during the, during the radio show oftentimes uh, we'll stop someone in the middle of a sentence and say, invite them to go back and listen to this speech that they've used and recognize that our speech tells us, always tells us, if you listen to people's speech, you know, if you listen to the politician who says, well, we put forward this new bill and this bill is not going to do this, you know exactly where that politician's heading. They're heading to do exactly what they said they're not about doing because our words always tell the truth of what it is that we're about. So as you listen to your own mind and you start to listen to your own words, when you have an interaction with someone and someone says, gee, well, you know, how were you feeling with that happening? Oh, I wasn't angry at all. Guess what? If I know how to decode my words, what I just said was there's a part of my mind involved in the situation that's angry and I'm in denial of it. I'm trying to hide that from myself. And when people hear that feedback, you know, oftentimes they'll be, oh, well, that, that's just not true. I didn't mean that. 
Or other times they'll stop, they'll take a breath, and they'll say, well, let me, let me, let me look at that. And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea I had that kind of anger about this particular situation. And then, of course, we point out that to believe that you've got anger about a situation is to believe in a lie. You've never been angry about a situation in your life. If there's anger in your mind, your mind can select any situation. And if you live in denial, then your mind will tell you the story that you're angry about that. And so we refresh the mind on our definition in this work of denial. And denial is the act of thinking or speaking as though something on the outside is causing what's happening on the inside. You know, the common link, the common lie that's told in the culture is, you made me mad, you made me sad, you hurt me, you made me so afraid, you disturbed me so much. But what I'm telling myself in this case is that there's anger and mad and sad and disturbance in my mind, and I'm pretending to myself, I'm believing that something outside of me is causing that. And when I do that behavior, when I language and express things in that form, what I'm telling myself, if I could decode the content of my own words in my own mind, what I'm telling myself is that there's a big part of my mind that I'm hiding from myself, and we call that process of hiding dissociation. If I want my mind to only show me evidence that you're the one who made me angry, then I have to dissociate from the cause of my anger. And I put this thick layer over that so that I think I won't ever have to look at that again. And yet the energy of that anger sits within me, resonates, and tends to draw somebody else in through resonance to play that out with me. When I stop playing the game of denial, when I stop speaking as though something outside of me is the cause of what's inside of me, then I can invite my mind to show me the root of the energetic pattern that's causing my anger, my sadness, my grief, my rage, my pain, whatever it happens to be. And once I can confront that directly, and that's precisely what first century Aramaic forgiveness does is it empowers one to precisely confront the part of their minds that they're hiding from themselves. And so when I can do that, when I can bring the hidden part of my mind forward and I bring that forward in the presence of love by exposure to that act of love, the trauma or underlying pain, pain tends to dissolve and I get free of it. So that's the genius of the forgiveness process from the first century Aramaic. And if you're out there listening and we can support you with a question or a thought, then just push one, raise as a hand in the control panel, Jeannie will see that, and we'll introduce you by your area code. Jeannie, do we have anybody with a question for us? Anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? No. 
We have many people on the switchboard, but nobody has put a hand up. And I'm still, there's one viewer and then me in the chat room. That's it. Okay. Along the lines of what you're talking. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, sweetie. I was just going to say I had a conversation with someone the other day, so kind of along the lines of of what you're saying around um, the way that we speak, uh, perhaps in your words, I explained in my words, um, some the person I was talking to was having an, an issue come up around an uh, interaction with another person, and the tendency was, of course, to blame the other person, and. Having them to shift, oh no! <laughs> having them shift their words to um, that it was their reality or that it was their impression, instead of making a statement that was um, absolute about the other person. I don't know if I'm cl- I'm trying to nope. explain it without uh, uh, exposing. Uh, who, the, right, conversa- right. the actual conversation. I hear you. Well, you know, you bring up a principle about the mind and how the mind operates, and that is the mind is always reflecting its own content first and foremost. And when I language that the content of my mind is caused by someone else, then once again, I'm living in denial, but my mind is still going to show me its content. And the, the, the challenge is, especially when I'm dealing with content that I am pained about, is the whole culture has taught us, as we started to show up with this blame idea, the whole culture has taught us to blame someone else for it. And the genius of first century Arabic forgiveness, it's a, a profound technology the mind is, that what happens is when I apply for this, when I'm standing in this space of having a conversation about that person out there and how they did this and, and, and it, what they did is responsible for my pain, in that situation, I'm dissociating from the internal cause of my pain and projecting my pain into my brain's image of them. So they show up with my pain attached, and I think that it's their pain what first century Aramaic forgiveness does, what the technology does is it collapses the pictures that are made by the mind that keep us believing, the perceptions that the mind creates that keep us believing that it's all everybody else's fault. And, you know, one of my tongue-in-cheek lines that I love to deliver is, you'll notice if you've been through a particular painful reality, 87 different times with 42 different people. You're the one that was there every time. Your pain's perception is about you. It's not about anyone else. And the very act of holding pain's perception sets up a resonance that draws someone to me, and they'll tend to play off of that energy that I am literally radiating. When I hold an energy in my mind, energy by definition is motion, and anything that creates motion creates energy waves. You know, imagine I'm standing underwater. I'm in the ocean with a pail of water in my hand, and I'm spinning that pail of water. What happens as that pail of water that I'm spinning interacts with the ocean water? 
it creates a wave within the ocean. The very pattern, if I'm going, you know, moving rather quickly, then I slow down, then I go more quickly, then I slow down, the wave that comes off of the tail's interaction with the water is going to move quickly in one case and then slow down in another. So it's going to, in a sense, we could say it's communicating about the source of the wave that's being created. The, the, the wave itself is carrying the energy pattern of the motion that created it. And so if I hold, let's say, anger in my mind, and I talk about how everybody else makes me angry, I'm literally, those, those energetic patterns, by definition, energy is motion. And anything that moves creates an energy wave that communicates the source of the motion. And through what we call the law of resonance, I am, when I do that, unconsciously communicating to all the world about exactly what's going on in my mind. And it's almost, it's almost like a cry for someone to come and do it to me. You know, what we know is that resonance creates motion toward in the human realm. Resonance is an energy exchange that causes people to be drawn into the space. And so when someone does a particular behavior that bounces off of that hidden part of my mind, then their behavior is going to tend to move that part of my mind in me. And if I can simply undo my denial, if I can simply say to myself, here I am, with that old instant rage. I've been through this 87 different times with 42 different people. Why is it that this is going on in me again? Or still, if I can stop and own it and say, obviously, it must be mine. Although my mind is so expert at projection. My mind is so expert at making, at making pictures up that it's all about somebody or something else. But sooner or later, I have to stop long enough to say, do I really want this response in me? And if I can say, no, I don't want this response in me, I got it. I've been through it 87 different times. There were 42 different people present. And every time, my mind really produced a picture that was believable that this was about somebody else. But here I am at the source of it every time. And what forgiveness does is it collapses that projection. It literally collapses the world of reality. And reality is the output of the human mind. And when I can collapse that reality, it collapses in on itself. And when it collapses in on itself, I get to see the root energy, that which is back of and superior to the pictures my mind is creating, the projection that my mind is creating. And when I can do that and own the fact that what's going on inside of me belongs to me, then I can begin to utilize the forgiveness process to... He'll dial right back in. So he's talking about our perception and, and changing that perception and that forgiveness does that. It it collapses the projection we have and then we see things differently. 
So while we're waiting on him to call right back in, there I'm here. he is. Okay, here I'm not real I can sure you. what you said after you disappeared, but so maybe go back about five statements. Okay, <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. So, so what I was heading toward is recognizing the point at which it became apparent to me, and I was shown what it is that brings real healing. And that when we are in that state of projection, when we're in that state of blaming someone else, there's a part of our minds, the part that's hidden, that is not available to us. And the genius thing that forgiveness does is it makes those parts of the mind available, and it makes them available in the presence of love. Looking back, you know, as I said, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I, I was, you know, just contemplating the previous years of working with people and watching situations where monumental healing took place, where just huge issues would break through and break down in people's lives. And it was like something that, you know, maybe somebody had done years of work on, and all of a sudden it was gone. They were done with it. How did that happen? Other people worked and worked and worked, but never really got that shift to take. And after watching that for years, what became very apparent to me is that in order for healing to occur, two things have to happen simultaneously. One, the root of pained perception has to be directly exposed no longer hidden in the unconscious, one is face-to-face with and embracing it right there in the moment. And rather than embracing it out of their pain or their fear or their trauma, they're embracing it from the point of conscious, active, present love. You know, if you look at step four in the wake-up sheet, Step four is where you bring forward purposely, consciously. You enter into the practice of bringing love, conscious, active, and present in your mind. And once you've done that, then you transfer your answer from step three, where you've identified the goal that's driving the perception. You transfer that goal exactly as it's written in step three to step five, and you cancel it which seems like a really ridiculous thing to do. But forgiveness is the act. You know, the word forgive is shabag or shabak in Aramaic, and it means to cancel. When I cancel the goal that's driving the projection, the perception at the moment that you're the cause of my pain, that perception collapses in on itself, and it gives me access to the deeper hidden part of my mind. As that perception collapses, it opens a pathway into the hidden part. And once that hidden part is confronted and I can embrace it, I can bring it forward fully, full-blown, total memory of that experience in the presence of love or, and and that's when something is cognitive, or energetically I'm able to embrace that. I may not have cognitive awareness of what it was. I may not know what the memory was, but the, the 
hidden pain of it I'm able to embrace energetically and bring forward while either I or someone in this is holding to conscious, active, present love. And when those two things meet, then the underlying pain exposed to the presence of love, literally the energy is transmuted. It changes its form and I'm freed of it. That's called healing. And it doesn't matter what the disease is in your physiology that's being caused by that hidden underlying traumatic energy. It doesn't matter what the physiological or emotional disturbance or distortion is. It could be, you know, the ABC disease or the XYZ disease. It could be emphysema or cancer or heart disease or lung disease or diabetes. It doesn't matter what it is. If I can bring that energy which is off the mark that's creating a distortion in tissue forward in the presence of active love, then the distorted, the diseased energy, the energy that's off the mark, the sin begins to dissolve in the presence of love. And when it does, whatever's at its root begins to heal. The physiological expression changes. If we go to the opening words in the book of John, where we're told it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. In Aramaic, that's not what it says at all. They understood much better than we do. What those words said was, in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. That mind energy that I'm holding on to literally becomes my physiology, healthy or diseased. If it's a dis-ease energy, hatred, fear, anger, rage, sadness, grief, pain, drama and trauma in any form, then wherever that energy is stored in tissue, if it's stored in the big toe, then somebody will look at the big toe and say, the big toe is distorted, you have the pig toe disease. Of course, they'll give it a fancy Latin name, and they'll have a fancy drug to try to, try to manipulate it into suppressing the appearance of the symptoms that are there. If you take that very same energy and you put it into the kneecap, somebody will look at it, they'll have a fancy long Latin name, probably a longer name than the one for the toe disease, and they'll say you have the whatever kneecap disease. If you take the same disease energy that creates the kneecap disease or the toe disease, and you put it in the lung, the heart, the liver, or the brain, then somebody will look at it and they'll see the anomaly, they'll see the distortion of the heart, the lung, the liver, or the brain, and they'll say, ah, you've got the heart, the lung, the liver, or brain disease, we've got a fancy name, and we've got a really expensive drug to see if we can manipulate that energy. What if you understood that it's all energy? And if you have the big toe, the kneecap, the lung, or the, li- the, lung the liver, or the brain disease, you bring love present to that part of your structure and that part of your structure instantly reorganizes into health. And there's what people call miraculous healing that occurs. It's not miraculous. If you're listening to the show yesterday, Patrick McGann called in. Patrick's been a friend of mine for 40 plus years. And he mentioned that 23 years ago he was at Heartland and did several intensives and kind of let the work go and moved on. And he came back this past summer, having allowed himself to get to the point where 
with diabetes. He could hardly walk. He literally had to stop due to the burning pain in his feet. He had to stop just walking up a single flight of stairs three times. He could, he's in his 70s, he could wake up in the morning and do two to maybe three hours work and the pain in his feet. Well, someone would go in there and say, well, you see, these are nerve degeneration. There's a, this is, you know, diabetes at its worst, and it's just the way it is. He's going to live with that till he dies. Well, if you listened to the show yesterday, Patrick was telling us that he's now to working seven or eight hours. He spent 50 days at Heartland this summer. He's up to working seven or eight hours, and he's has no burning pain in his feet. None. Now, that's not possible for a 72-year-old man to do after having diabetes for years. For those who at Heart were with us at Heartland this summer who watch Patrick and, you know, we, we talk about the, the general rules of where energy gets stored within the structure and the tendency for the pancreas to be distorted by pain is usually caused by grief. And for those who were with us this summer, you remember this tough guy, and Patrick's, you know, martial artist, military guy, tough guy. And you'll notice how many times Patrick dropped into with the support of the whole group. And this, he went through about three or four rounds of dealing with having been in training in the military in Korea and that they are doing mock battles between different facets of the U.S. military and where his team won this mock battle and some others on the other side were angry that he led the team that beat them. And he shared with the group that the opposing team captured him. These are his own men. These are the guys that he's training with and working with. They captured him. They hung him upside down by wires just a couple of feet from the ground and set off a tear gas bomb in his face. Now, if you were there to watch Patrick this summer as he coughed and just the energy being processed out of his lungs. He went through at least three, maybe it was four rounds of this just deep gut-wrenching, coughing, crying, tears, grief, and pain as he had the remembrance of this being betrayed and tortured and, and learning that there was nobody he could trust. And if you remember the look on his face, anybody who was listening that was there this summer, Remember, I was like, I just couldn't understand. These are my own guys. What are they doing? Torturing me. And I mean, seriously torturing him. But Patrick went from where there were three stops in order to go up the steps to where he was walking his dog at Heartland. And for those who've been there, you know, there's this big circle around the property and then the road that goes down to the lake, the road that goes up to the top of the hill. He got to the point where he'd walk that whole road with his dog a mile to a mile and a half every day with not, 
with no foot pain and without stopping. Now, people would say, no, 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 that's just not possible. He's got the physical result of the physical disease called diabetes. Excuse me. If you believe there's such a thing as physical, you're living in a fantasy world. Let's listen to Einstein as he says, on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy, energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. Einstein tells us matter doesn't exist. Max Planck, when he was receiving the Nobel Prize in Physics, back at the turn of 1900s, Max Planck, as a physicist, says this, as a man who spent his entire life studying matter, I can tell you this much. There is no matter as such. Our entire world is made of succeedingly smaller patterns of vibratory fields, one nested within another, nested within another. Do you have a disease going on? What have you nested into the tissue? And I don't care whether it's the big toe, the kneecap, the liver, the lung, the heart, or the brain disease. What have you nested into the big toe, the kneecap, the lung, the liver, or the heart to create that distortion? What's the energetic anomaly there? And can you access that and bring it to the presence of love for dissolution, for forgiveness? And that, my friends, is the essence of So that's the essence of the healing process. And when I can bring that nested frequency, that underlying energy forward to conscious awareness. Now, it can be cognitive. You know, in the case that I just shared with Patrick, he's right back hanging upside down on the tree, remembering, and and it was interesting to watch his gyrations to see what, tip himself over almost upside down to cough out this, you know, um, tear gas, to cough that out of his lungs, to cough that energy out of his body. And as I lift the overlaid energy from the tissue that's been distorted, yes, somebody will look at the tissue and they'll say, see, it's it's supposed to be shaped like this, but it's shaped like this. So we know it's disease. Well, what's happened is the the energy that's been overlaid on the tissue is what has created the distortion. And when I remove the overlay, and the removal is the act of forgiveness, when I remove the overlay, the big toe, the kneecap, the lung, the liver, the heart, or the brain, whatever it is, goes back to a fully healthy state. The energy is always willing and ready to spring back to full expression if I'm willing to face, bring love present to whatever I'm hiding from myself. And that's the essence of the miracle of healing. You go back to Yeshua, and of course, there's this whole magic story about this magic man who fixed and healed all those people. But you'll notice that in those healing stories, when those people wanted to turn to him and say, wow, look what you've done, what did he say to them? Now, go read the story of the woman who has this issue of blood. She has a continuous menstrual flow, and has had that going on for 12 years. 
She has this inner knowing that if she can touch the hem of his garment, does that mean she wants to touch a piece of cloth? No, that's a metaphor for being in the energy field of empowerment for healing. When she touches into his energy field, she is vitalized and empowered, and it's that high vitality state that allows us to recapture from tissue the overlay that creates the disease and the distortion and remove that distorted energy. And you remember when everybody wants to make him the hero, he says to her, Woman, your faith made you whole. The action you took made you whole. Yes, I was here as your support. I held the space for you. But it is your work that made you whole. If you are going to heal in your life, it's your work that will make you whole. And Yeshua provided the exact tool for how to do that. Once again, the tool is called forgiveness. Forgiveness is the tool with which you reach inside the hidden parts of your own mind, which reflects as your physiology, you access any dis-ease energy, any energy that does not belong, and you remove that energetic pattern. Removal is the act of forgiveness. Take the overlay off the pancreas, the pancreas starts to function again. Take the overlay off of the heart, the brain, the lung, or the liver, and that tissue begins to act in full function again. It looks distorted and diseased because of the energetic patterns of disease that have taken the tissue over. Breathe, forgive, Access and remove what doesn't belong. Bring forward the presence of love. Put a smile on your face and activate the frontal lobes of the brain where Rockman resides. And in the presence of that act of love, all disease energies begin to be removed from the system. Feed the system what it needs to be fully functional, and you'll function as a human being again. We're here to support the understanding of the principles by which that healing process operates and to be the space and to empower you to understand the principles and then to enter into the practice of using the tools that empowers that energetic shift to take place. And such things as burning, searing pain in the feet of a man who's been five decades holding the grief and the pain of being betrayed by his own men Embrace that energy in love dissolves the overlay that causes the thing they call diabetic neuropathy and the feet move in a healthy manner and the man walks for miles where before a single flight of steps was more of a challenge than he could handle. 
It's so awesome to watch the process occur. It's so awesome for people to step into the use of that tool. Again, if you don't have the forgiveness wake-up sheet available to you, go to your, your phone app store, type in the words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, download the app and put it to work. Or go to, pardon me, I should say, and go to our website, whyagain.orgs, upper corner. Click on the Start Here button, and you'll be utilizing first century Aramaic forgiveness process and learning everything that we've come to know over the period of almost 50 years of working with this tool. That's what we're here to share with you. Yours. And so we're down to the last minute or so. We're honored and delighted that you're here with us to uh, to be part of this conversation. If this show has been meaningful for you, when the show is over, you can go to whyagain.org and click on the microphone on the page. Go to the archives. You can save the MP3 to your phone or to your uh, to your computer, or you can copy a link. You can send the, the file to someone or send someone the link and have them give a listen. In the meantime, we're here to support you creating the best year yet of your eternal life. That is an awesome gift to give the world, and we're here to support you getting it. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.